Hello, my name is David Lesner, and I'm one of the pastors at Creekwood United Methodist Church. We are located in Fairview, Texas, right east of Allen, just north of the Dallas area. The sermon you're about to hear was recorded at one of our worship services, which we'd love to invite you to check out live at 8.30 a.m. for traditional or 11 a.m. for contemporary on Sunday mornings on our Facebook page or the recorded version on YouTube. We'd love for you to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC or our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more information about what is happening and how you can grow with us in our mission to share God's love. If you feel inspired, there's also a way to give at the top of the website. Thanks for listening to this sermon, and we hope it inspires you in your journey with God. Good morning. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Phituria and Trachonitis, and, Lis, and, Lis, excuse me, and Licinius, uh, ruler of Abilina, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the, Lord, or the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So no one tell Robert since he just left to change out of his robe, but we always pick the scripture passages with the most complicated words for the people that we love the most, right? Although you get a Texan in there and they're like, who was ruler of Abilene? And I have no idea how it's actually pronounced. So um, always thank your scripture readers because... It's not always easy. Um, So like I said earlier this morning, we are starting a new sermon series that um, we are calling Water and Roots Rediscovering Baptism. Um, We are going to be looking at the traditional baptismal vows that we take when we are baptized in the United Methodist Church or when we are baptizing someone else in the United Methodist Church. Back in December, we had our confirmation service, and we did the traditional rite during the contemporary service, and so um, our contemporary crowd is not as familiar with liturgy-type stuff, and so when all of these questions kept happening, I was watching all of these people's faces. They were like, why are we asking them so many questions before we baptize them? And so for the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at the baptismal questions, the baptismal vows, but not just for purpose of a ceremony, but instead how we can be living them out every day. And so for this entire sermon series, we are going to be parked right here in this story in um, the Gospel of Luke chapter 3, this story about John the Baptist and his ministry. And so this week, um, take some time maybe to go and read that whole chapter. That's where we're going to be for the next couple of weeks. But Remember that John the Baptist is a miracle baby just like Jesus, and we talk about him sometimes at Christmas, Um, but John the Baptist's mother, Elizabeth, was believed to be unable to have children because both of his parents were beyond their childbearing years, 
Um, there's no nice way to say they were old. Um, there's just not. <laughs> but Elizabeth becomes pregnant after an angel tells her that she is going to have a baby and that they're going to name him John. Now, technically, John the Baptist is Jesus' second cousin. Now, in my family, at our family reunion every year, if we don't know how you're related to us, we just call you cousin. Like, I'm pretty sure I have a fourth cousin that we just call a cousin, right? So for our purposes, we're going to pretend that Jesus is in the Howell family, and John the Baptist was just his cousin. But when, um, when Mary found out that she was pregnant, she went to go see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth was already pregnant with John the Baptist, and um, the Bible tells us this story of the two women um, running to greet one another, and Elizabeth can feel the baby in her tummy. Um, it says she felt it, it leapt, it took a leap. It was so excited. And if you um, have ever carried a child or um, maybe put your hand on the belly of a person who's carried a child, you know that feeling, especially the first time that that happens and um, the joy and the excitement that comes with that moment. But what we have attributed that to in Scripture is that John the Baptist, even before he was born, knew that Jesus was someone to be excited about. So John grew up. We don't know a whole lot about his upbringing, but we know that at some point, as we get to the time of all of the strange names that Robert read for us, um, he goes out into the wilderness. And Matthew chapter 3, so we're in Luke, but over in Matthew chapter 3, it tells us these details that um, usually what people think about John the Baptist is like he wore weird stuff and he ate weird stuff. And that all comes from the Matthew account. Luke leaves that out. But in Matthew, it says that he wore camel's hair for clothing. And I don't know how many of you here have ever um, gone shopping and seen camel's hair on the rack. Um, it's a little weird, even for those times. Um, it says he had a, a leather belt and he ate locusts and wild honey. So kids, next time you see Brussels sprouts on the plate, just remember, it could be worse. You could have locusts and wild honey. And that would technically be a biblical meal. But it tells us in Matthew and in Luke that people came from outside of the town. John is out in the wilderness. They came from outside of Jerusalem, outside of the hub, to go and to hear what he had to say and to be baptized. And so John is out in the wilderness. He's wearing clothing that is strange enough to write down and be preserved for thousands of years. And he's baptizing people. But John, as he is baptizing them, as he is gaining fame, tells the people that something else is on its way. Something better is on its way. Really, someone is on their way. And so John starts pointing to Jesus, and he says that Jesus is going to be the Messiah, and my iPad just died, which has all of my notes for this sermon. This is terrible. <laughs> I am not David Lesnar. I cannot do this on my own. Hey, Adam, could you bring me my cell phone, please? This is really fantastic. Okay. Oh, Adam's not here. Hey, Wendy, can you bring me my cell phone, please? It's great. Okay. Oh, nope. It's right. All right. Lorelei, toss it. Here we go. 
Come on, it would be funnier. That's fine. Thank you very much. I'm so sorry. I would pretend, y'all, I really could pretend that I know this, that I have it memorized and be very impressive to you right now, but I'm really proud of what I wrote and I don't want to mess it up. Um, this is just the like recovering perfectionist in me. Okay, back to John the Baptist. Here we are. I'm so sorry. Okay, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's baptizing people. He's telling them that Jesus is coming. So, John the Baptist, he is the guy who goes before Jesus. He is famous, and he has every right to pretend that he is the most important person in this entire story. But what is preserved about John the Baptist, what people decide is important enough to write down, is the fact that the entire time John the Baptist said, I'm not your guy, your guy is coming. He's on his way. I'm here to prepare you for the most important thing. John the Baptist goes before Jesus to tell the world about Jesus. He proclaims the good news about Jesus before it even happens. And so when we do baptism in worship together, this is all part of partaking in what John the Baptist does here. John the Baptist goes before Jesus. And there's this type of grace um, in the United Methodist belief system called prevenient grace. And it's the same grace that is with John the Baptist. As John the Baptist goes before Jesus, we have prevenient grace, which is this grace that goes before us. We, I like to say that um, it is the grace that you have before you, you know God or you know that you should know God or you know that you want to know, to know, to know, to know God. It is the grace that we recognize when we baptize an infant and we know that God is already working in their lives even if they're not aware of it. It is the grace that is present in our lives before anything else happens. It is the grace that prepares us for what God is going to do with our lives. Just as Taylor was talking about with children's time, we believe that everybody who was sitting up here a little bit ago has provenient grace covering their lives. And maybe in this group of people, we've got doctors and lawyers and pastors and who knows what else, but God is already working in their lives. And that is the belief in provenient grace. So, The first question that we are asked in our baptism, and if it's an infant, it's the parents or the the godparents that are asked this question, but the first question in the entire service, the vows that have been preserved for hundreds of years is this question. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? We believe in provenient grace, this grace that goes before us. And the very first question that we are asked is about the other things that go before us. The spiritual forces of wickedness, the evil powers of this world, and that temptation, that um, bent to sinning, goes before us. The spiritual forces of wickedness and the evil powers of this world and sin are all around us. We are constantly, throughout the day, faced with the choice between good and evil, 
between selfish and loving acts, between things that move us closer to God or things that pull us farther away from God. Leaning into the grace of God or leaning into the spiritual forces of wickedness and the evil powers of the world and our own sin. And so the very first thing that we do at baptism is we say we're going to do our very best not to do that stuff. We reject it. We renounce it. We repent of it. And that doesn't mean that we don't sin after we're baptized, right? I was baptized at five. I've sinned like a couple of times since then, right? I've had some missteps. Only a few, But instead, what we do, we don't promise to be perfect, but we do promise to repent. And repent is this word that, um, do I have any military folks in the room, former military types? Okay, about face, when we're marching band kids maybe. (laughs) About face is when you're moving and you literally turn to go in the other direction. It is not simply a turn around. It is not simply a stop what you're doing, but it is literally you are moving in X, Y, Z direction. And when you repent, you turn around and you walk the other way. Repenting of our sin is not just saying that it's bad. It's turning around and going in the opposite direction to literally pivot, to turn around 180 degrees and go the other way. So the month of January at Creekwood is every church person's favorite time of the year, which is what we call stewardship. And hopefully if you were listening to children's time, you learned that stewardship is this time where we um, take stock of the gifts that God has given us um, and we financially pledge what we're going to be able to give to the church this year. We take the time to um, talk about and to commit to what we're going to be able to give to the church this year. And I'm a level with y'all. We do this so that staff and leadership can make plans. This is how we make a budget. This is how we can anticipate how much money we are going to have for missions and ministry and air conditioning and lights and all kinds of programs for the year. This is how we know what kind of funds we are going to expect this year so that we can make plans for our ministries and our missions. But pledging is not just about the numbers that you're going to write on a card. And it's not even about what you're going to tell the staff or leadership what you're going to give, but I truly believe this morning, and I hope that you can feel that I truly believe this morning that pledging can be a spiritual practice for you. Now, I'm sure that even if you weren't watching the game by now, many of you have seen um, videos and news stories of the Bills football player, Damar Hamlin, who had to be medically evacuated from the game on Monday night due to a sudden onset cardiac arrest that had happened to him after a hit. And there have been um, delightfully inspirational stories that have come out of, of what had happened. For example, the person who ended up administering the CPR is like the assistant trainer and is probably, if I had to guess, one of the lowest paid people on the field, and he saved a life. 
right, or the players that gathered around and shielded him so that the fans in the stands and the photographers wouldn't have to see what was going on as they stood there for 10 minutes reviving him. But one of the most interesting stories, I think, has kind of come in in the days after all of this has happened, and um, we have seen all kinds of um, testimonials and people who have been um, moved by his story so far, and obviously we are grateful for his um, continued improvement, as we have seen um, lots of wonderful stories from that. But the most interesting story, I think, comes from this discovery of a charity that DeMar himself set up in December of 2020. And it was a way of using his platform to give back to the community which he came from, where he was born and raised. And this is how DeMar describes it himself. As I embark on my journey to the NFL, I will never forget where I come from. And I'm committed to using my platform to positively impact the community that raised me. I have created the Chasing M's Foundation as a vehicle that will allow me to deliver the impact. And the first program is the 2020 Community Toy Drive. This campaign gives you the opportunity to contribute to our first initiative and positively impact children who have been hardest hit by the pandemic. 100% of the funds raised will go towards the purchase of toys for kids in need. You're not able to contribute monetarily. You can support this initiative in other ways. We are accepting donated toys at the daycare center or simply spread the word by sharing this fundraiser on your social channels. Thank you so much for supporting me on and off the field. I am grateful to have the opportunity to work with you to help make the holiday season a little brighter for kids in our community. So in 2020 and in 2021, DeMar Hamlin raised a few thousand dollars to help provide toys for kids and families in his hometown so that everybody would have something to unwrap on Christmas Day. And I'm inspired by the fact that um, before Monday night, if I had asked you a week ago, if you knew who DeMar Hamlin was, how many of you could honestly say you knew who he was? Maybe a couple fantasy players, right? But he wasn't one of our more widely known football players. He's not a household name that you recognize. He wasn't a jersey that you could go down to Academy and purchase right off the bat. In fact, his goal for his toy drive in December of 2022, one month ago, was about the same amount of money that Creekwood gave to ACO for our toy drive. Now, I'm not saying that his charity is small or that we're better or anything like that, but I'm just trying to give you all an idea of the size of impact we're talking about here. And what I learned last night, he was drafted by the Bills in 2021. This man set up a charity before he was ever sitting on an NFL team to begin with. He knew that it was important to give back before he even, quote, made it, right? We say all the time, if I win the lottery, I'll give it all to the church. Or if I strike oil, where I'm from, I'll give it all to the church. That's when I can be generous. When I make this much a year is when I can be generous. But Damar Hamblin said, 
I'm going to set this up before I'm even a thing because it's important. And I'm not the only one that has been inspired by um, this humility of DeMar Hamlin this week, but the Chasing M's Foundation, one month ago, had a goal of raising about $2,500 in the month of December for their toy drive for their community. That is less than what we gave out to ACO and Samaritan Inn in the month of December, just for perspective. And all week long, after people have um, found the GoFundMe page for his charity, people have been um, pouring in donations in honor of Damar and his humility and his fight for his life and this swift response that we have seen. And so as of last night, when I looked up, the Chasing M's Foundation is sitting at nearly $8.5 million of donations. But even better, that $8.5 million comes from 240,000 separate donors, making the average donation $35. There are public donors, and you can go look, it'll show you the top donors, um, there are sports teams that are on there. There are the bigger names that you'll recognize. Tom Brady, the Indianapolis Colts, the Bengals. But then, if you scroll down to the bottom, because GoFundMe ranks you by how much you give, you'll see that there are anonymous donors and smaller names of regular people that have given $5 and $10 in support of the charity and in support of Damar. But this is my favorite donor story of the week so far. If you have played fantasy football, you know that the last week, the championship week, is very important because they take the two most winning teams that have been built and they go head-to-head -head in the championship, in the Super Bowl. And so the fantasy team Super Bowl was this week because they started before playoffs. And so with the game being postponed and now canceled, Lots of fantasy teams, just as the NFL itself, are enjoying the chaos of the moment. How do you crown a winner when a game technically hasn't been played? And there are so many ways that people could respond, right? You split the winning pot that you have between your two top winners. Does everybody get their money back? But what I saw last night is over 50 fantasy leagues have given their entire group pot to the charity. With the game being postponed and all of these questions that have been happening, all of these leagues of regular people, instead of crowning a champion monetarily this year, they're donating that money to the Chasing M's Foundation. And so I'm sure you're all sitting here wondering, well, how is Carrie Lynn going to talk to us about giving to Creekwood? Because Damar Hamlin's charity sounds much better. <laughs> but here's what I want you to take away this morning is I, I am inspired by the people who have given. Yes, absolutely. But that's not what I want us to focus on. I want you all to think about Damar himself. The people who have responded this week, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. They've responded because of tragedy. They've responded because of someone in the spotlight. And that's not a bad thing. But DeMar Hamlin did not set up his charity Monday night while he was in the hospital. 
I'm more impressed, I think, by Damar himself than I am any of these big givers. This man himself set up a way to give back to his community before he was a nationally known name, with no guarantee he was going to be a nationally known name. He was giving back before he was ever even drafted to the NFL. It didn't matter that he wasn't famous enough. It didn't matter that he himself did not have enough money. Let's just put this into perspective here, folks. For some of us in the room, a $2,500 check wouldn't make a difference. We wouldn't feel that if we had to write it. But Damar Hamlin was giving back, and he wasn't just doing it himself, but he was setting up ways for other people to join him in giving back. He was pointing to something other than himself before people were even looking to see what he was pointing at. John the Baptist was pointing towards Jesus before people even knew what John the Baptist was pointing at. Jamar Hamlin took the United Methodist baptismal vows. He renounced the spiritual forces of wickedness, resisted the evil powers of this world, and repented of his sin because he set up ways for others to give back to his community as well. He chose good instead of evil. He chose a giving act instead of a selfish one. He chose something that moves us towards God. And not just for himself, but he chose something that's going to help others move towards God instead of moving away from God. So when you fill out a pledge card, see, you didn't think I was going to get there. When you fill out a pledge card, you are committing to the finances, the money, (laughs) that you are going to give here at Creekwood for the year. But it's so much more than that. You are committing to an investment that you are making in this local church and hopefully what you believe God is doing here. This is why we're showing these videos is to show you that we believe God is doing really great stuff at this church. We hope that you are inspired by that. And I'll tell you right now, like when you fill out your pledge card, I don't want you thinking about David. I don't want you thinking about me. This is not your commitment To pastors, this isn't even your commitment really to like the building itself. This is your commitment to God. That's how big the stakes are. And there is grace, I tell y'all, there is grace for whatever number you need to write down for yourself this year. But it's between you and God. I want you to consider it a spiritual practice. The same way that we pray and we read scripture, we make commitments. We make commitments to the things that we know about God, the things we already know. But then also, like, we make commitments to the things maybe we don't even know about God yet, the things that we anticipate that God is going to do. Pledging is a commitment to the first question on the baptismal vows. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, repent the e- reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? 
it is something like John the Baptist living a life that is pointing completely towards someone else, pointing towards the work of Jesus before it even happened. It is living like Damar Hamlin, thinking of others before you even get to greatness. The spiritual practice of pledging is preparing yourself and others for the kind of life that we can experience knowing that God loves us. And I am not saying this because it is my job to encourage faithful giving. It is. But really, my job is to walk alongside all of you with faithful living. And I firmly believe, whether my job depends on it or not, I firmly believe that pledging and tithing leads to greater spiritual experience and life with God. That's why I do it myself too. So I hope this week you might be able to see the areas and the situations in your life where you will be able to fulfill the promise you've already made to renounce, reject, and repent. Find ways to be a steward of what God has given you. And I hope that you might join me in starting to think and to pray about the next four weeks, the commitment that we are all going to make together for what God is going to do at this church in the year of 2023. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that you have given us, for every way in which you have blessed us with talents, with opportunities, with relationships, and with our finances. God, we thank you that we live a life where we have the privilege to think about what we might give back to you. And as we enter the next four weeks of this time of stewardship together, God, we ask that it might be something that we take seriously together as a community, that we might be inspired like, by people like Damar Hamlin to be generous even before it's easy. But God, in all of it, just like John the Baptist, that we would point towards you. It's in your name that we ask all of these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We would love if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening today and let us know how we are doing. Be sure to check out our social media pages at Creekwood UMC and our website, creekwoodumc.org, for more ways to get involved at Creekwood United Methodist Church in person, online, or both. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week.